0: Hi everyone, I'm Alan Schimmel, CEO, founder of MediaOps, DevOps.com, Security Boulevard, Container Journal, TechStrong. Welcome to CISO Talk. Uh, CISO Talk is a bi-weekly video series where we gather some of my friends and uh, some pe- new people actually, not all, you know, old friends, and talk about relevant topics to, securities, to security folks and, and to IT folks in general. Uh, around the world. Um, I'm joined, as always, on CISO Talk by my co-host, the uh, CISO, that's uh, Chief Infrastructure Security Officer of Unisys, Matt Newfield. Matthew, welcome.
1: Alan, it's always a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Yep. And then joining Matt and I today, a recurring guest, our friend Larry Whiteside. Larry, welcome back to CISO Talk.
2: Hey, thank you for having me again.
0: Not our pleasure. Larry, if you wouldn't mind maybe giving us a little, uh, sharing with the audience a little bit of your background.
2: Yeah, so uh, Larry Whiteside Jr., um, I've been in this industry for longer than I care to admit. Uh, <laughs> so I turned 49 yesterday, but I've technically been in this industry at this point for 29 years. So um, uh, it's been a interesting journey. I've been a C-level executive for over two decades. Currently, I hold many hats. I'm the CTO of a uh, MSSP out of Canada. I'm the co-founder and president of a not-for-profit geared called ICMCP, uh, geared at increasing diversity in the field of cybersecurity for women and minorities. So um, I do a lot of things and, and ultimately my goal is to just make the industry better than when I got here and when I leave it.
0: Excellent, thank you, Larry. Joining us also this week is Karen Moore. Karen, welcome back to CISO Talk.
3: Thanks, Alan, and happy birthday, Larry.
0: Thank you. Oh, we didn't know that. All right, happy birthday to Larry. 49. Excellent. Karen, a little little bit of your background?
3: Certainly, I'm the uh, Chief Compliance and Privacy Officer at Unisys Corporation. relatively new to the tech field, although thanks to Matt Newfield, I'm quickly climbing learning curves every day. Um, but I have been in the compliance and privacy space for um, longer than I care to admit to, uh, different industries, tobacco, financial services, shipping. Uh, so I'm really excited to, to be here and, and talking with all you today.
0: Great. Thank you. And then joining us is, you know, my constant sidekick companion on videos and podcasts now for about 15, 16 years. He's the CTO here at MediaOps, as well as the CEO of Accelerated Strategies Group, Mitch Ashley. Mitchell, welcome.
4: Good to be here. Love our panel. Always fun to to join this group of
0: folks. Absolutely. All right. We've got that out of the way. Guys, let's, let's take the next 30, 35 minutes and really dig in a bit here now on you know what hopefully we're we are have covid in the rearview mirror though the numbers are going up kind of scaring uh, you know it's scaring me a little bit but you know we're returning to a new normal a different normal it, it the changes that have been wrought are going to be with us for some time perhaps none bigger than the whole work from anywhere movement right remote whatever you want to call it, I don't think it's just work from home is the bottom line. Um, but And then some of us are returning to the office, full-time, part-time, once in a while. Uh, it's, it's had tremendous and will have tremendous rippling effects across the entire corporate world, the entire workplace, and but there will be some really specific ones around security, right? Both for the good and I think unfortunately for the potentially bad as well. Matt, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you to kick it off here. What do you see as sort of the big the big things that you know we need to to hit on here?
1: Yeah. So thank you. And, and again, very excited to have this conversation because I think it's top of mind for most corporations and organizations, even those that are smaller on how do you handle the new norm? We've all read the news. Um, you hear about companies out there that force people back in and then everybody quits. And I do the everybody with quotes, but you know, people leave. You start realizing that um, there are a lot of people who still have an old school mentality on what makes a great uh, experience and what makes a great company. From a cyber perspective, let's add physical security into that. Let's add compliance and privacy into that. When you start looking through that lens, you know there are a lot of decisions that have to be made, and a lot of things I think CIOs and CISOs miss. You know, a, a good example that you know very excited that Karen and Larry are here to discuss is, you know, as a CISO, Larry from your CISO days, it was very easy to say, once you entered our building, we have cameras, we can monitor your movements, we can monitor your activity. I can monitor everything you do on your corporate machine. Heck, I can monitor your cell phone because if you attach that to my wireless network, I can monitor you. That is my corporate network. Well, do those same rules apply when you work from home, right? When you work from these shared spaces or personal spaces. Um, And then let's add on the physical security side. What controls do you have around physical security for my laptop, right? It's my house. The company can't monitor my my security system if I even have one. So there's a lot of unknowns here that have to be thought through policy-wide. And Make it even more complex, Karen. I want to hand it to you first, but make it more complex. You can't just come at it from a US perspective. Well, what about the different countries throughout Europe, Asia Pacific Rim, Latin America, Canada? And you could start adding all of these nuances in where there is really not a one stop rule. So, Karen, how are companies dealing with this? What are your thoughts around these things?
3: Yeah, that Matt, that's so complex a question from so many different angles, and if I hit it right away from the privacy perspective, right, forget about the laws, forget about this incredibly, increasingly complex global web of privacy laws that tell you what you can and more often what you cannot do. Um, I think one of the, the greatest threats right now to organizations, and the one that's very often ignored at their peril, is the growing threat of individual data subject right enforcement. And once you bring some of these privacy rules into your home, things that I think individuals are willing to tolerate in an office space all of a sudden become intolerable. What do you mean you're going to monitor where my machine is located and how my IP address relates to my, you're geolocating me and tracking me where where I am? Um, What do you mean you're going to be monitoring data on my machine through my server? And, And one thing I've learned from you, Matt, is that you can potentially potentially um, collect more information than you're intending to collect about the individual. So I do think that that kind of respect for the individual has got to become paramount in that work from home environment. And then you overlay this incredibly ridiculous um, web of of regulation about what you can and can't do. And and that's only from the privacy perspective. I mean, there are all sorts of cultural and other other issues with the the work from home scenario. Um, And when you talk about that kind of US-centric approach, Matt, the one thing that I would hit on is a lot of us are pretty comfortable. I'm looking at your background and Larry's and Mitch's, Um, we're all in comfortable offices with a door that can be closed and privacy and and the ability to segregate maybe our personal computer from our company computer we can't make that assumption um globally that we have colleagues that are in that same situation where they can speak confidentially they can segregate their information and their um and their machine usage as well so yeah i I could take up our whole hour on all of the the different uh issues there. But Larry, if I see you and Mitch nodding a lot. I want to give some space
2: for that. So I want to take apart what you said and deal with it in two separate components. So the first piece for me that I'll make as a broader statement is this entire conversation to me is funny because of the fact that we've been working from anywhere forever. It's just that because the pandemic forced us to work from anywhere permanently that we've now like All all of the companies globally were like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? But the reality was, even when we had offices open, people were taking their laptops home. They were taking them on vacation. They were taking them with them wherever they went in the globe and working from anywhere. So that's not new. It's the fact that now we are working from anywhere permanently and we had to do it for an extended amount of time and not just overnight or the week that we're on vacation or the three days we're at a conference and we're now starting to think about these other impacts that have always existed right the ability to talk privately sitting at a starbucks has never existed but now because we're doing this permanently it's a concern right the the ability to to have the physical control of a laptop and wonder whether you're you're leaving it unlocked when you're at home and your kids are going to get on it to play Minecraft and do other things it has always existed. But now because we're in a permanent state of being remote, we've now got these concerns. So to me, it's funny that we as an industry, as a technology industry, have now gotten up in arms about this threat that has always existed just in a, a smaller Uh, 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 I'll say arena because it hasn't been permanent. So now we've gotten to the point of this being a permanent thing and it's it's raised the bar to all of us dealing with the privacy component, the physical security component. Now, how how and what does that mean for us, right? So first off, to your first point, when we talk about the privacy of individuals, as long as they are being given a corporate asset, I literally still am of the uh, mindset and maybe I'm a curmudgeon that you should expect no privacy of an asset that I as a company provide you. It's just not a reality because we provided that asset. I've paid for that. I've paid for that asset. All of the data associated with that asset belongs to the company. Everything you do with that asset is no longer your IP, it's company IP. So with that, you should have no right or expectation of privacy. And as an organization, you should have policies to support that, right? Yes. I think that's important for organizations to know and 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 understand. And I think that's the stance that people should should be taking as a company. Maybe not every company can do that. Maybe not every company is willing to take that harder
1: stand. But that's my personal belief. On the, big, the secondary, real, real quick on that, Larry, I have to say, I, and I, and I don't want to <laughs> cut you off, so don't don't lose your spot. But you know, I. <laughs> While I absolutely agree with you, what I'm really hearing you say is, and I think the most important piece, it's not thou shalt not do, but it's thou shall have a policy and be transparent with that policy and educate your associates with that policy. We talk about culture and you are correct, but there are service desk help desks that never work from home, right? There are still a large contingent of the population that this was new for. It's that education and making sure, as a culture in your organization, you're letting people know. And we've talked about this on CISO Talks. If you have a policy that says someone may not use this laptop for personal use, and yet you've never trained any of your associates or employees on that, well, shame on you. Right. Right. Especially now.
2: Right. Right. No. and, And so, and that's a valid point. Right, and and so it's that combination of things of ensuring that you've got policies in place that enable that are enforceable. A policy that's in place that's not enforceable, and you haven't educated people on, is just a piece of paper, <laughs> right? Yep. It is literally just a piece of paper because you can't. But, but that's hold also,
3: some... I'm sorry, that's also where you can start running into trouble on the the privacy side as well. So yes, no expectation of privacy, but now all of a sudden I'm going to audit your location and your geolocation is going to be broader than my right to monitor what you're doing with my equipment. So I, I think you have to be really careful if you say you've got policies and then you've got to enforce them. How am I going to enforce them? I, I need to track something because I can't see what's going on. And and I do think right. that behaviors in the office are different than behaviors at home. And and Matt's point, I think also it's it's a really important one. We can't take this personal perspective and slightly privileged Perspective that oh yeah but forever we've been c- carrying our laptops around. Not everybody has had um, home access to company systems before, or gone on vacation where they felt the need, um, frankly, right. to take a laptop and and check in. So and and I have to say for me the star the Starbucks thing is always the kind of that that guy at Starbucks that's writing a you know great American novel rather than the guy that's there for you know several hours working and doing conducting business calls or Zoom calls and. Um, so I, I'm I'm on board with everything you said, Larry. I just think that there are nuances there that we should also be careful not to yeah. discount.
2: You know, one hundred think Cut out. Don't know what's
4: Oh, I was just going to say that I think I think one of the lessons in in all of this is, Larry, you made the point about there's a population within the workforce who already works remote: salespeople, software developers. There could be other folks um in swinging the pendulum all the way where everybody is remote and also in working in a world where recovery pandemic changes are not even they're not consistent across even within one country in the u.s more or less you know across geographies across the world i think we're now in a world where we're in a constant mix of some mix of remote where you call it remote or whatever remote in the offices and, and it's fluid it's something that can change very easily so to me that that's what's what the new normal is carrying forward is is now we now that we have the lessons learned from everybody being remote or everybody that could be uh, being remote it's it's how do we support that mix I don't want to say hybrid because it's really a combination of all of those elements and I think also if the thing I, I want to add to is Karen, where I think it really gets interesting is there's always collateral information, collateral damage of information that we can gather whenever we're monitoring anything, right? Whether it's the the Wi-Fi network at at the uh, Starbucks, and we can see stuff going on, messages happening in Wi-Fi, same thing in the home, right? We may be monitoring an asset that's a corporate asset, but there's other things that come onto that network that it sees that it's not business, not a business network, and we're in someone's home, I think that's a whole different tier of, well, you can see what's happening at Starbucks, but I don't want you to be seeing what's happening on my home network that your corporate computer's on. It just brings up a whole new set of issues, and I think a, a, a new set of kind of government governance and policy questions we've got to get a little more firm
1: on. No, it also brings up transparency. It brings up transparency. I mean, a lot of this still goes back for me to policy, and it also goes to transparency. So we monitor these systems. Layer to your point, these are corporate assets. You have no rights to it. We take. You don't even have local administrative rights. You can't install software. All of that's great, and we monitor them. We monitor them very heavily in our own organization to to make sure that they're not an entry point of bad things into the company. But we also put a significant amount of effort and transparency to make sure that if we accidentally, to Mitch, your point, start seeing things that we should not see, we scrub them, we notify, we work with our privacy officer, we're transparent, we don't hide that fact. And that helps breed the the culture. I think a lot of companies, and we were, before we started recording, we were talking about, and we don't name organizations here, but some companies that did it wrong years ago. And those will know because they became very public of, thou shalt go back into the office. You you know, you can't work from home. You can't be remote. And, you know, how did that work out for you? So there's a lot of positives for us. Um, Yeah, exactly, Mitch. But there's a lot of positives for working from home. I can take a break if I want to have an evening meeting right? and not feel like I'm stuck in an office until 10 or 11 p.m. for those evening meetings, or I have to leave my house at 2 in the morning. I can get up, do a very early call, then maybe go back to sleep for a little while. And it gives people a lot of freedoms. But again, companies need to step back and figure out who you are, who you want to be, and then start wrapping transparent security controls, transparent privacy controls around that. Um, But I think there's another nuance here, and one of the reasons we were excited to have Larry join us today from the ICMCP, um, and that is a tongue twister, Larry, so I, I do have to say, is one of the other problems I think we struggled in cybersecurity and IT industry, and most likely privacy and a bunch of other industries, we just specialize in that, is you had to find people near where you were. That's what you had to do. So if you had an office like we did in Bluebell, Pennsylvania, you were looking for people in Bluebell, Pennsylvania, or Dallas, Texas, or this one place in India, or Hungary, and so on and so forth. And not to make any positives come out of a pandemic, but one of the things I think we learned as an industry is that you can now find great people everywhere everywhere. Give them the yeah. tools and techniques they need to be successful because you as a leader had to change. And Larry, what are you seeing in industry? And I know, Alan, this is a huge thing for you as well. And we've been talking about it in the, the time that we've worked together on these shows about finding that best talent. But Larry, I'd really love to hear your thoughts. And, and it, you know, is it, is it true? Is it happening? Is it not happening? Should it happen more, et cetera?
2: Yeah, no, it's happening. And so that's one of the, you know, to your point of, of, you know, pandemic is a pandemic. But, you know, when you want to talk about trying to f- see the good in things, the shining light out of this is that work from anywhere has enabled that hire from anywhere, right? So these small communities that were not the, you know, the Raleigh Durham's or not the Dallas, Texas, or not these, you know, Atlanta, New York City, these big big tech hubs that organizations typically have an office in just because it makes sense because that's where talent is, you can now hire from Boise, Idaho, and you can hire from these smaller places that you would have never, A, had a location or B, sent recruiters to look for someone that was in those locations because you weren't going to pay to relocate. You weren't going to pay right to do all of the things with getting them physically to where they needed to be for them to be a member of your team. And so that has helped immensely in the diversity game as it relates to getting more diverse people into the field of cyber. It's helped like so much because now people are in these smaller communities, smaller towns, smaller suburban, smaller country. You know, I don't want to. I'm not using this, you know, uh, in a derogatory, but podunk towns. Right. One horse, one stoplight towns can now have the ability to work for a major Fortune 2000 company, even though there's no office anywhere close to them, right? And so I'm seeing people get jobs that they would have never even thought of getting before simply because they've we've now been able to open up the borders and almost erase them, so to speak, and that's globally. That is finding people in not necessarily in one a major city in India, but maybe a smaller area outside of India that has got, you know, stable Internet and has got stable connectivity, right? Finding people in smaller countries in, in Istanbul and, and Spain and all of these little areas that people are starting to come out of the woodworks that have uh, a desire, that have a passion, right, and have demonstrated the capability to learn. Because at the end of the day, right, those are a lot of things that as hiring entities we want is some of those foundational things. It's not about having the right degree. It's not about having the right certification. It's about some of these other non-tangible things that don't get always documented on your resume. And so um, we are seeing that globally. Um, There are going to be some hiring studies that we're looking to participate in. And there's some other ones that are going to be coming out from other organizations that, we are seeing and demonstrating that this new work from anywhere model is being highly, highly successful in the tech community of enabling things.
3: I'm just going to throw out one thing because I'm so excited by this opportunity to increase diversity of perspective and thought and economic opportunity as well. But the one thing I actually have it on a, on a sticky note here: the big challenge there is onboarding people remotely and that kind of drink the Kool Aid challenge. How do you get them to feel part of your corporation and build a network? Um, you know, I, I think one of the big challenges there is. is Bringing people on board as a member of the tribe um, uh, and, and getting them their loyalty to, to shift over to the company. Um, I think we get to be really creative in, in thinking up solutions there that are not the old solutions of onboarding new employees and, and you know, this, you know, Karen,
4: Karen. To that point, you know, we talked about. I really love the phrase "hire from anywhere," just like work from anywhere. I think another one to introduce is is work together from anywhere. Mm. That to me is a real change where there's sort of the haves and the haves not in the old culture. This the, the haves were the people in the office and the people who were not in the office sort of suffered, right? You can't hear across the conference phone. You're not really sharing things so they can see it on the screen. You know, if you were there, you had the full fidelity of all the conversation. Now we're used to working with each other. We're okay hiring somebody in Wichita, Kansas to be our developer, which I just, I hired someone from Wichita, a great, fantastic developer. It's, it's, it's not even a second thought. Matter of fact, we're working across the globe with people It's even opened that up and made it more comfortable, more natural, almost expected so to your point around on onboarding, it takes those processes and say, well, usually you ship it to an office and they go to an orientation meeting and die. Well, now we have to do it. It's sort of like going to the cloud for our apps. We do it everywhere. So we, some things that we have to rethink and change, whether it's security or onboarding or those parts of it. But I, I think that work together from anywhere and changing that mindset is a huge, huge positive.
1: But what I find interesting is Alan and I talked about this before, and I'm going to, uh, Alan, I want to get your thoughts on this because it's not the people we're hiring, getting them to change their thought processes, because, Alan, you've said it before, everybody wants, you know, they're used to that experience. It's, I went and bought the the computer from the store or the phone from the store and I got it to work out. just make it easy for me. The The culture changes with us. It's with the hiring managers. It's with the leaders. Mm. I mean, Alan, what, what are your thoughts there?
0: Yeah, no, I, yeah, absolutely. It, it, and it's not just the leadership, because culture is not necessarily leadership even driven. Culture, you know, here at MediOps, we, we've gone through a similar thing, right? We, we've doubled in size over the last year. Uh, most of the people I've hired, I've not met in person though some of them I knew before, right? But I've not met most of these people in person. They're all over. At the same time, you know, we work very closely with the DevOps Institute, a company that we co-founded as well. And, you know, we've gone from a culture of 15 people to a culture of 60-something people. And all remote, for the most part. Maybe eight people come in and out of our offices now if they're vaccinated. Um, It's all remote. It's been a tremendous... Not for the remote people; they don't know any better. This is normal to them, right? The new people who have always been remote, but as a company, you know. So we've we formed something called the Culture Club, and when they go around singing "Karma, Karma, Karma, Chameleon," but they don't really sing that. Um, but <laughs> but they are they are you know, and and we have a the Culture Club has a. a a board, if you will, a team that represents up, down, front, back, new, old, you know, a good cross-section of the company. And they're coming up with things we can do and should do to have a culture, to have what does it mean to be at MediaOps. Security is part of that, by the way, right? It only takes one of us click. Well, yeah. No, but it only takes one of us clicking on a stupid link for the whole company to be ransomware. Right? It only takes one of us being the victim of a phishing attack for bad things to happen. Right? So, you know, part of that culture, to bring it back to security and cyber, is how do you instill security into this culture? Right? It, it was very different when you walked in the elevator and it said loose lips sink ships or you, know, you would have posters in the office that said don't leave your password on a post-it note. Right? It's, it's another thing when everyone's remote and they all have their own devices anyway and you know, how do you, you instill that security culture let alone a, a corporate culture?
1: It's so well, I think that it's hard, but I, I think it's something that, you know, and I know we don't have endless amount of time here, but, you know, and again, we one of the great things about this show is you're going to hear little tidbits that we repeat constantly, and it's because they're important. So you hear about privacy, you hear about the diversity, you hear about these things, personal versus work, and that divide's gone, right? I I can work, and then I can move over and do personal things in the same chair with actually – not standing up, I could slide all the way to the other side of my office, do personal, and I, I do keep some separation. But one of the things we've learned, and I think has been helpful, you know, knock on wood, is when we train people around cyber and privacy, if you only train your people, if you only test your people for work-related activities, I think you're failing, and you're missing the boat. Make it personal. So when we help our associates with password complexity, we don't use work examples. If you don't if you do do this, bad things happen to the company because ultimately, and I make a very general statement, people don't care. They can get a new job. What we, we want to do is make it personal. If you don't do these, bad things can happen to your checking account, happen to right. your mortgage, right? It's, you know, let me teach you how to do physical security for your home so that you can help instill general best practices that then help the corporation out because they help your associate out or your employee. We call employees associates. Larry, you were going to jump in.
2: Yeah. So they're they're far more willing to retain it, right? When it deals with something that directly impacts their everyday life, right? When it impacts their family, right? It impacts their income, when it impacts things that that, that they truly, truly, deeply care about in their soul they're far more adept at retaining that information. So I think that's been, you know, one of the things that I I think forever we've spoken about, about make education personal, but I want to deal with a couple of points. So one, I think the education remains the same. It's just, we've got to be more diligent, right? Where previously, right? It was once a year you took the online training, right? And you, you had to do it every year. And it was, you know, part of compliance that you must sign off and go into the LMS and take the training. Oh, you didn't take your training when you were supposed to, right? Uh, I think it is now tying training into other mechanisms, right? Where they're getting presented with different things that train them in different ways on a regular basis, right? And how you do that, there's a, a multitude of ways to do that. It could be, be a phishing campaign, right? Most organizations today are utilizing some sort of phishing campaign To try and educate their users, right? It's via, via regular email campaigns, letting them know, right? Each month there is, there can be a theme and things, things of that nature. So there's other ways to do it now that they're not, now that they're not physically in the office and they're in remote in these disparate places. But I think one of the things we need to do as a technology industry overall is redefine collaboration, right? Because we've got this conundrum that we're in. Everybody's gone home and everybody's accustomed now to working remotely and engaging. But we also have Zoom fatigue, right? And, and Zoom fatigue can be just it's it just the uh, impact of all of the online meetings and how the start of the workday and the end of the workday have seemed to have dissipated and gone away because you can have a meeting that starts really early and then you can end up being on meetings for five, six, seven hours straight of just back-to-back-to-back-to-back to back, to back, to back, to back Zoom or whatever type web form you call uh, a meetings. And so people have the Zoom fatigue and it's like, so at what point and in, via what mechanism do we collaborate? Is collaboration Slack? Is collaboration a video enabled collaboration tool? What is that? And so I think we need to redefine as an industry. What is collaboration? Because collaboration, when you were in the office, Used to be a team meetings, collaboration in the office. Sometimes it was just water cooler talk, right? In between meetings, mm-hmm. going to the fridge to get coffee, right? Mm-hmm. Those aspects of collaboration have died. And so we've got to find ways to rebuild these micro collaboration things that we've always had that we now have lost that I think people didn't really take into account was actually collaboration.
1: So we have to be careful. Going back to what Karen said earlier though, we could swing the pendulum too hard the other way, right? I hear all the time people say video on. If we're going to be on a Zoom call, video on, right? I I want to know that you're not pacing, that you're staring and 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 I get some of that, but that's old school mentality and to Karen's earlier privacy point, what if I live in a one room? What if I'm sharing it with my children? What if I'm sharing it with my significant other that it, you know, is running around and doesn't want to be on a corporate camera or recorded. Um, and and you, you have to start really thinking through this from a culture, from a privacy, from a compliance to law, because I know, Karen, you, you sort of said it's hard, but ultimately, I, I'm pretty positive in all the times we've discussed it, being hard was never a good defense, if you're being accused, I'm sorry, you're right, but that's yeah, really not- hard. You know, <laughs> yeah, We're not going to do that. It's harder than we thought or cost you. We got to start thinking through these things because even an uh, interesting topic for me was we like facial recognition biometrics. Pretty simple. We can turn your camera on and we can make sure it's you for authentication. And I'm talking industry-wide. And then all of a sudden, everybody's working from home and you saw this massive pushback in industry of, no, you're not turning my camera on without me being there. You're not. You don't get to do that. So much so that I'm going to take it and I'm going to throw it behind my monitor, or I'm going to put a piece of tape over. Um, blah 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 blah. And you know, it 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 raises the the bar of compliance and cybersecurity because things that we took for granted before we can't really do right now. So there's a lot here, well, and, but.
3: And there is that whole behavioral component. We have to identify where those gaps are, that the way I behave at home is generally different than the way I behave at the office. I dress differently. I act differently. I have much better coffee. Um, and and it's trying to break some of those patterns. Um, the same things that we try and inculcate in an office environment by creating pathways to good behavior, you know, that there's a shredder by the printer, things like that are absent at home. And so that those behavior changes and systems changes and process changes are things we need to identify and then hit on and find alternatives. And and Larry, I love your because we do do privacy training once a year for the whole company online, um, but. But, I, but we we try and do like every two weeks a message. We try and do every um, so often piggybacking on the effort that Matt's team has where, Matt, I loved what you said yesterday um, in conversation, which is the testing is the training. You do a phishing test and, and there is no better way than getting somebody to fail a phishing test to teach them what to look for next time. And so all of those opportunities we need to look at. But I have to say, and I, I'm convinced I'm not old fashioned, that companies have also got to take some of the cost savings now of having people working from home and reducing their real estate footprint. And, putting a portion of that into face-to-face opportunities once it's safe to do so, that there really is no comparison. And, Larry, you mentioned the water cooler, and we need those water cooler moments. Um, When I'm at a meeting, I learn 10 times more during the coffee break than I do during some sort of a presentation. And we've got to increase those opportunities and and groupings, whether they're based on geography or function or business, whatever it is, to get people to interact and, and come Companies have got to loosen the purse strings if they don't already have a meeting culture and create those meeting opportunities, maybe up the ante on people's travel budgets. I I cannot wait to get back onto the road. It's the way I gain my most valuable insights into designing a good um, compliance program.
0: Excellent. Guys, I'm sorry, but we're almost out of time here. Larry, you know what I want to do, though? Give people the website where they can go maybe get involved in your organization or maybe have your organization help them.
2: Yep. I appreciate that, Alan. It is www.icmcp.org. I know that's a mouthful. Uh, Or you can just reach out to me on LinkedIn, Larry Whiteside Jr. I am literally the only Larry Whiteside Jr. that you'll find on LinkedIn. So reach out to me, um, or go to the website, either uh, look forward to hearing from you, Hope, hopefully, right, um, you want to lean in to help understand that ICMCP, uh, our mission uh, does not exclude anyone, right? We, we want everyone, we recognize that every movement of any kind has always had, not just the people impacted, but also their allies lean forward. And so we We accept and open our arms to everyone who's willing to support the mission.
4: Excellent. And I have to
1: concur with what Larry is saying, the ICMCP is a great organization and uh, it's something that I think everybody should look to work with. But also if you are one of those individuals that happened to stumble across this this video series and and watched it and wants to know how it could potentially help them as an individual, not just a company, you should have a conversation. You should reach out. You should sign up. It's, it's just amazing.
0: Very cool. All right. Larry, Karen, thank you so much for appearing on this episode of CISO Talk. Matt, as always, thanks for co-hosting and, and adding so much, so much to the conversation. Mitchell, as always, Matt, can't do it without you. Thank you very much, everyone. This is Alan Schimmel for CISO Talk. We'll see you in two weeks with a fresh panel, fresh topic. Until then, be well, be strong. Tech strong. Bye-bye.